Well, good morning, Sailorville Church. So good to see you this morning. I would invite you, take your Bibles with me and go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11, as we continue in this series, Issues and Inspiration, that is taking an issue of the world or an issue in the church, and inspiration means the inspired word of God and saying, what does the Bible reveal to us about the issues of today? Do you believe the Bible does indeed do that? Does the Bible speak to our issues today? Does the Bible equip us for everything that we need for life and godliness? Yeah. And so as we look into this today, we need God's wisdom. We need his help as we continue in some of these big questions in this series. Well, if you've been a human being for any amount of time, you've probably asked this question before. Why does it seem like when I look at the world around me that things are not the way they are supposed to be? There's something that has happened that I can tell this is not the way I don't think it was originally designed. When we see things in this world like cancer, miscarriages, natural disaster, poverty, unfaithfulness in marriage, a loss of jobs, and many of us who had a script written for our lives and it hasn't turned out the way that we desired it to or the way that we had written it. And we ask, why is the world this way? Theologian John Frame says, the Achilles heel or the most difficult problem for skeptics, that uh, that is who are skeptical of Christianity and its worldview is this question, If God is good and he is all-powerful, why does he not prevent evil? The setup goes something like this. If we say that God is all-powerful, he's able to prevent evil. But if if God is good, then he wants to prevent evil. But evil exists, so the conclusion is either God is not all-powerful, he's unable to prevent it, or he is not good because he's unwilling to do so. This is a deep question, isn't it? It's a hard question, and we're going to do our best today to look into the Word of God at this question, but knowing that we are approaching the Scriptures as finite human beings trying to understand the infinite. And whenever God and man meet, there is always mystery. So by the Holy Spirit, we want to address some of these questions. But I want to tell you this, that it is not just skeptics that ask this question, is it? And in fact, serious-minded Christians Wrestle with this question, if God is all-powerful, if he truly is good, why does he not prevent evil? Because all those issues, all those evils that I mentioned just a moment ago are not just things that are taking place out there in the world, but every one of them taking place here at Sailorville Church. Why is that the case? Well, the will of God 
what he wills and why he does it in his sovereign plan. What he is doing in the world is beyond our comprehension. We have clues and we know what it's moving towards as we just sung about this morning to seeing the face of God, but we can't always understand why or what is happening in between. Deuteronomy 29, verse 29 tells us this. It says, the hidden things belong to the Lord our God. So there is what theologians call the secret will of God. That is what he's doing in the world that we can't see, that we are unsure of, because this is directly from God for it to be this way, for only him to know. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And then it tells us, though, but... The revealed things belong to us and our children forever so that we may follow all the words of this law. So what does this say here? It says that there is a secret will of God that we don't know, but yet there is a revealed will of God that we can know and are to follow. So we don't know what God is doing, but we are told what we are supposed to be doing. An example, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, this is the will of God, it's very direct to Christians, for your sanctification that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's the revealed will according to the word of God. And next time when I speak next month, I'm gonna be talking about decision making, following God's revealed will in his word. But this morning, I want to address God's secret will, what he is doing in the world and in your life. Ephesians 1 verse 11 says, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. And so using this passage this morning, John chapter 11, I want to take us to a very familiar narrative that many of you probably have heard before, looking at God's will and why does he do these things in the world? I will submit to us this morning that God allows evil, that he wills evil because he is bringing about a greater good in the midst of it and in the end of it. That is why God allows it, and we're gonna unpack it in this passage today, that he has a greater good in mind for the world and for us living in the world as Christians. So John chapter 11, I'm gonna read verses one through 16. John says this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as he recounts for us the life of Christ. Now, a man was sick, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and his sister Martha. Mary was the one who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil, wiped his feet with her hair, and it was her brother Lazarus who was sick. So the brother sent a message to him, Lord, So the sister sent a message to him, excuse me, Lord, the one who you love is sick. When Jesus heard it, he said, this sickness will not end in death, but it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha, her sisters, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to the disciples, let's go to Judea again. Rabbi, the disciples told him, just now the Jews have tried to stone you and you're going there again? Aren't there 12 hours in the day, Jesus answered? If anyone walks during the day, he doesn't stumble because he sees the light of the world. If anyone walks during the night, he does not stumble because the light is not in him. 
He said this, and then he told them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, Let, but I'm on my way to wake him up. Then the disciples said to him, Lord, if he's fallen asleep, he will get well. Jesus, however, was speaking about his death, but they thought he was speaking about natural sleep. So Jesus then told them plainly, Lazarus has died. I am glad for you that I wasn't there so that you might believe, but let us go to him. Then Thomas, called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. This is the word of God. All who hear the word of God are of God. Where we pick up in this narrative, this story, Jesus' public ministry is becoming dangerous. His last encounter in Jerusalem, they tried to stone him, and now he is about a day's journey away from Jerusalem, and a messenger comes to him from Bethany, which is two miles from Jerusalem, telling him that Lazarus and is sick and that he needs his help. Verse four tells us that we get our first reason that God is pursuing his greater good in the word through his will. As he tells the messengers, this will not end in death. Now, if you know the story, you're thinking, yeah, it does end in death, actually. Lazarus dies, right? But what Jesus is saying is ultimately, this will not end in death, but in the end, glory will be brought to God and to the Son, The first reason evil is a part of God's will is because it's for his glory. It's for his glory. Everything in the universe is pointing towards, moving towards God's goal, and that is his glory. Now, glory, it's easy to describe, isn't it? If you're walking and you see the sun coming up or you see it setting, you see it and you go, that's glorious, that's amazing. If you see a double rainbow, you say the very same thing, and then you share it in all your social sites, and everybody else has shared the same thing, and we all see it a hundred times, and we all like it, and say, glory. The heavens declare the glory of God, the psalmist says. They scream to us, God is real, and he is awesome. When you hear a piece of beautifully performed music, you say, wow, there was so much glory in that. When you see Tom Brady come back and win the game, you're like, wow, that was glorious. But kabod is the Old Testament term for glory. And glory literally means weight. It carries the idea of being heavy, It carries the idea of actual, literal fatness. That's what glory actually means. I was thinking about this today. This is the answer for guys, right? When their wife asks them, does this dress make me look fat? Say, no, honey, you look glorious, right? (laughs) Telling the truth, keeping it real, right? That's what it means. It means to be weighty. That's that's what what he's getting at here. Now, imagine, it's been a little while since I've been to the gym and actually lifted weights, all right? So it's been some time. Imagine that I were to go into the gym, take the barbell, or take the bell, put it on the bench press, and then I went around and grabbed just an obscene amount of plates of weights to go on either side of that thing. And everybody's kind of watching this little guy get underneath this bar. And but for some crazy reason, I'm able to even get this thing out the bar, and then it falls right on my chest, right? And I'm like, little help, spotter, 
spotter here? And like the whole gym, because I have so much weight on this thing, has to come over and lift it up and put it back on again, right? Now, what would the response be, bro? What are you doing? That weight is way too much for you. In a sense, what they would be saying is that weight is way too glorious for you ever to bear. See, here's the problem in the world and in many churches is we take God way too lightly. That's what it means to not give him glory is to take him very lightly. It's not a huge deal. It's not a a, a big thing. I don't see God as weighty. And so evil is in the world. Trials come to make us look in and go, wow, what is wrong with me? What's wrong with the world? And pushes us to Christ to see ourselves the correct way and to see the weightiness, the glory of who God is. And as we do that, we get more joy. Now why? How is making much of someone else and making yourself light, making less of yourself and pointing the spotlight on someone else, how is that going to bring you more joy? How is that possible? Here's why. Because you and I were designed for it. This is what the book of Isaiah says in verse 43. He says, everyone called by my name and created, this is God speaking, for my glory. I have formed him, indeed I have made him. Have you ever done something in your life where you just realize this is like one of those things that I was made for? Whether it's a sport you play or an activity you do or something and you're like, I think I was, or a career, I think I was made for this. That's what it means to be made for God's glory is that the more I make God big in my life, so often we say, if I, I want to make it all about me, what's the result? No joy, not long term anyway, but the more I make God weighty in my life, the more joy I receive. And I said, this is what I was made for. And evil in the world that comes out is to point us and to push us to glorifying God and making much of him in our lives and in the world. Evil is part of God's will for his glory and secondly, to increase our faith to increase our faith. Verses 11 through 14, Jesus tells the disciples that Lazarus has fallen asleep. He says, we must go wake him up. And they're thinking, no, 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 no. Listen, remember what happened last time you're in Jerusalem. Everyone tried to stone you. Let us remind you of that Jesus. And they say, hey, listen, if he's just sleeping, that's a good thing if he's sick. Let's let him recover. But then Jesus speaks to them plainly. And he says, Lazarus has died. I'm glad for you that I wasn't there so that you may believe. So they don't understand. His plan isn't making sense to them, and he speaks to them plainly. He says he's dead. And I'm not glad that he died. I'm not happy about that. But I'm glad that I wasn't there. Why? So that you, disciples, may increase your belief in me, may increase your faith in me. Now, I won't say much more on this as time will unpack itself throughout this passage as faith is mentioned eight different times throughout this section of John chapter 11, but it's the whole goal of evil is to increase faith in the one that doesn't know Christ through seeing his power and to increase the faith in the one who knows Christ as they begin to see his power and his plan unfolding in their lives even when they can't see it. And I'm not talking about just the big stuff, right? 
I'm even talking about like all those things that I just mentioned, like that's not a part of my life right now. The big stuff, you're like, what about just the little stuff? What about when my, my kid won't stop crying, right? In that moment, what is this? There's, this, this feels like this is so evil right now, what is happening, right? I have had slept forever. And you're like, what's going on? And say, like, God is doing this to you for his glory and to increase your faith. So many of you know that I've had the opportunity to be up at New City Church, our newest church plant up in North Ankeny. And you guys don't know, but we, you do know this, but we, you don't think about it, but we've got it made here at Sailorville in that you just come in and sit down, right? Well, up there, it's a gymnasium, and they had to make it into a worship place, and they set up a bunch of different chairs, and they set up these curtains. And I, I've been around here for a while, and I told you that I'm not good with my hands, even when it comes to setting up curtains, Okay. And uh, these curtains had to be raised up and then stretched out, and two guys had to do it. And if every time, like, there's this button you have to push in, and then you have to pull, the other guy pulls out the curtain. Well, every time I'm always on that button, and every time I push that in, I know it's going to happen. I'm going to get my finger pinched right now. And every time it happens, like, he starts pulling it, ooh, ow, and no one else seems to get their finger pinched but me, right? And in that moment, like just even what's right there in front of me just feels so evil. And I'm thinking, God, what's your plan at all this, right? What I'm trying to say is it's not just the huge stuff. It's every detail. God is working. Why? For his glory and to strengthen and to build up your faith. Look at verse 5 and 7 again. This is really good. I love these verses. Catch these. Ready? Now Jesus loved Martha her sister, and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after that, he said to them, to his disciples, let's go to Judea again. Evil is a part of God's will for his glory to increase our faith and to assure us of his love. That's a good sentence for us to just memorize together. Why is there evil in the world? It's for God's glory to increase our faith and to assure us of his love. That's what he says here. He says John makes it implicit what he's already spelling out throughout the entire chapter is that Jesus has a great love for these people, for these Three, nobody is questioning his love for Mary and Martha. And listen to this this morning. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you're going through, or what you will go through, you can be confident with the fact that God loves you. You can be assured of that. Now, it's going to not always look like love. His love is not about always giving us and pampering us with what we want, but making us more like him. Oftentimes, that's what his love looks like. Because if you look at these verses, what's it say? It says that he loved them, and then the messenger came and told him that he was sick, and then Jesus waits two more days. D.A. Carson points out to us, actually, that John wants us to really see this here. That the reason that he loves them is shown in his waiting. You see that in there? He says, I love them. That's, I'm confident of that, and that is why I am not going right away. That is why I am waiting. 
In your life, listen to this, Jesus' delay is on purpose and for a purpose. When he delays in your life, when his timing isn't your timing, that is not, he's not trying to bother you or to annoy you. He's saying this is for a purpose and you're going to see why. Because my goal is, his, is my glory to increase your faith and assure me of my love. So he waits four days. Why? Because by the time he gets there, everyone is going to recognize after four days that there is no hope for Lazarus. He's gone. And Jesus wants to make that very clear. And there's a lot of things that are gonna happen in the hearts of those that are there in those four days. Whatever God is bringing you through, it could be four days, it could be years. God is growing your heart and increasing you in your faith if you lean into it and see it that way. Look at verse 27. How do we respond, or verse 17, how do we then respond to God's will? How do we do that well, and how do we do that honestly? Verse 17 says, when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had been, had been in the tomb for four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. As soon as Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to him, but Mary remained seated in the house. Then Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Yet even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Your brother will rise again, Jesus told her. Martha said, I, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die, ever. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who has come into the world. So how do we respond to God's will when we don't understand it, when there's evil and injustices in our life? I was reading this response from Martha alone in my office this week, and as I'd read this story before, tears flooded my eyes as I felt the weight the hurting of Martha. She said, if, if you would have been here, Jesus, my brother would still be alive. He wouldn't be dead. You see that her response is filled with grief. Yet her grief is also mixed with belief. She says, yet even now, I know whatever you ask from God, God will give you. What is she doing here? Martha is modeling for us what Christian grief looks like. It is grief that is combined with, with belief. It is not wrong to grieve. It is good to grieve. But as Christians, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. We grieve in hope because we know that God is working for his glory, for our faith and assuring us of his love. And Jesus now wants to take Martha's faith to a new level. 
Martha was familiar with the things of God. She knew the Old Testament scriptures, but Jesus wants to take her beyond what she already knows. That's why he's bringing this, and that's why he's waited these four days. It's for her sake to grow, to be more like him as a result. And so Jesus says, your brother's gonna rise again. And Martha says, I know. I know on the last day that he's gonna rise again. Now, she would have known that from Daniel chapter 2. She would have known that from the Pharisees' teaching. She would have heard Jesus speaking about the resurrection, and she was exactly right. But Jesus said, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about what's going to happen in the future. I want you to think about what's happening right now, presently, because I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he dies, will live. And he says, do you believe this? What's he doing? He's taking her faith beyond what she already knows into a new level. And so often when we go through evil, through hardship, we think, okay, yeah, I know these things. I know what's going to happen. And we miss the opportunity to to fall into God's love, to fall into his plan, to let him take our relationship to a place that we never thought that it could be. I, I do this all the time. I think about, wow, I just need to get through this stage of my life, and then everything's going to be fine when God is saying, but I want to form you, and I want to shape you right now. I want to make you a better man than for me more than you ever thought that you could be. And Martha says, I believe this. I believe that you are the Christ, the one that has come into the world. Verse 32. When Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, so now we're seeing the other sister here, Mary fell at his feet and told him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So Mary runs and falls at his feet. And what's interesting about Mary and the relationship that she has with Jesus Every time she's mentioned in the Gospels, it's always at his feet. And she sees this as another opportunity, not as a happy time, but this is where she runs in good and bad and in troubles. She's at the feet of Jesus, and the only, these are the only words recorded by Mary in the Gospels, and they're exactly like her sister Martha. As she says, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. She says the exact same thing, but with great emotion with at the feet of Christ. The sisters are saying the same thing, but responding differently emotionally. They're different just as we all are, but we all question these things even though it looks a little bit different. And she says, Lord, if. Wearsby says, Lord, if. Two words that express our faith and our pain. If is the word that hurts. Have you done that? If I would just think, done things differently. If I just would have acted differently in this situation, then maybe it wouldn't be this way. Well, that's if is not a place to live. Where you want to live is Lord. Because Lord is the word that heals. If brings pain, but together Lord is the one that heals. Both sisters are expressing and saying the same thing. And what are they doing for us? Now, this is important to grasp. In an evil world, the way that it is, the sisters are modeling for us what it means to lament, to bring a complaint to God, to say to God, I don't like the way the world is going. 
The situations in my life are difficult, they're hard. Is that wrong to do? If it was, a third of the Psalms would be wrong. They're all about lamenting, bringing a complaint to God. There's a whole book of lamentations. The whole thing is lamenting. And they're modeling for us here that it's good to go to God. But what do we do so often? We go to everyone else who can't handle our complaints, who we just drag down, not all the time, but continue as we keep going, when really we need to go to the one, just like Mary and Martha, fall at his feet and give him our complaints and lay it all out before him because he can handle it. And he wants to. Look at verse 33. When Jesus saw her crying, and the Jews who had come with her crying, he was angry in his spirit and deeply moved. Where have you put him, he asked. Lord, they told him, come and see. Jesus wept. What is Jesus' response to all this? He's angry. The word anger here actually refers to the snorting of a horse, an angry horse. What is Jesus doing here? He's saying, I'm angry about this too. I hate the effects of sin. I hate death. I hate the way that the world is. You see, God wills all things and his purposes will stand, but that doesn't mean he doesn't feel pain when his plans come about. When he sees the things that you're going through, he doesn't go, oh, buck up. Don't you know in the end everything's gonna work out? No, he enters into that pain. And he says, I'm here, and I'm feeling it. I'm going along with it with you. And then his anger turns to grief. As the shortest verse in the Bible, yet one of the most profound is the God of the universe wept. Weeped over what he was seeing. Psalm 116, verse 15 says, precious is the death of his saints in the Lord's sight. That word precious is heavy, that it's not a light thing. He doesn't take joy in it. Heavy is the death of saints. Alex Tuckness, one of my professors, asked, suppose the story just ends right there. What if that's all we have? What if that's all that John wrote? Would we wonder if Jesus actually loved them? Would we wonder if he really was good? You see, for us, church, one of the dangers in life is to pass judgment on the story before it's done. One of the dangers in your life is to pass judgment on the story before it's actually done. I... uh, came in late and walked in on the movie late, the movie Inception. It's been a little while since that movie's been out. But if, you do, if, you, if you've seen Inception before, you know that it's one of the most confusing movies of all time. It's this where they go into someone's dream and then they take that dream and they go into another level of that dream and then another level of the dream and put an Inception in somebody in the dream so that in reality they'll think, yeah, it's very confusing, right? So I walked into the, my, my mother-in-law was watching this movie, and I said, oh, I've wanted to see this for a while. She says, well, sit down, it's just started. But what she didn't say, but I just started was, it's already been going for 45 minutes. 
And so I was watching this movie, and I said, this is the worst movie I've ever seen. The story's terrible. It gives you no explanation for what is happening. Well, the problem was I had missed the whole explanation, and I judged the whole movie based off of that. That's so much, though. We can do that in our lives. This is terrible. This is horrible, and maybe it is. But let us not judge the end or the person who's writing the story before we see how it ends. 38 and 38 through 44 tells us how this story ends. Listen in. It says, Then Jesus, still angry in himself again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone was lying against it. Remove the stone, he said. Martha, the dead man's sister, told him, Lord, he's already decaying. It's been four days. Jesus said to her, Didn't I tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? You see what he does there again? He reminds her of why this is happening, for her belief and the glory of God. So they removed the stone. Then Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd standing here, I said this, so that they may believe that they may believe you sent me. After he'd said this, he shouted with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the dead man came out bound, hand and foot with linen straps and with his face wrapped in cloth. Jesus said to him, loose him and let him go. And that's how that story ends. Again, Jesus tells them in this prayer what his goal is, glory and faith. And he yells, Lazarus, come out. And there he is, still in all his grave clothes, completely wrapped up. And all the things that were once fuzzy are now becoming clear. Jesus is waiting, why he was sick in the first place. Now everyone's seen as God's will comes about what God's ultimate purpose was. It's all now making sense. Maybe in your life things are a little fuzzy. I've been waiting a long time. Things look so blurry. Well, there will be a day that Jesus speaks plainly to you. If you are in him, just as the disciples didn't understand, then he spoke plainly to them and explained what he was saying. There will be a day if you are in Christ when all the hurt, even if you don't, if you don't get an answer in this life, Jesus will speak plainly to you. tells us of one day, Lazarus points to, when God is going to make all things right, all things new. Because the, la- the raising of Lazarus points to a day when Jesus will raise all from the dead with his voice. One Puritan writer said, if Jesus didn't qualify who was supposed to come out of that grave, if he didn't say Lazarus, the whole place would have come out. Because one day, at the sound of God's voice, all will come out of their graves Evil will be punished. Listen, God is all about justice. The things that are wrong in the world, people who have wronged you, the wrong that has been done, will either be covered by the blood of Christ because they've been forgiven, or they will be punished. God is going to make the, the, the wrong uh, punished and justice to be served, and everything is going to be right again. He's bringing about the greater good for his glory, for our faith and assurance of his love in the midst of this evil world. Remember, glory means wait. If you are in Christ, we're told 
that these present sufferings are nothing to be compared to the glory that is going to be revealed in us, the weight of glory. So right now, if the pressures and cares of this world just feel like pushing down on you, you're unable to bear, someday those burdens are going to feel like a feather. And it's going to be replaced by the weight of God's glory that's going to be revealed in us. So God wants to take evil in this world and your present suffering, and he wants to take you to a new level of faith, a greater dependence on him. What is it in your life right now, believer, right now in this moment, that you're saying, these things in my life I'm just pushing away and trying to get through. I'm numbing myself to it, just watching more Netflix. I'm taking another trip. I'm shopping, I'm doing whatever it is that I do to, to get through these things. When Jesus is saying, lean in, come closer. These are for a reason, and I want to grow you. I'm good. The reason I allow these things is for a greater purpose, and that is my love for you, that I'm with you in the midst of your pain. Death and sin are here because, or death and evil are here because of the sin of mankind. Sin that we've brought in. And it's here because all of us, as scriptures say, that we're spiritually dead. And what does that mean to be spiritually dead? It means that even though you're alive right now, if you don't know Christ, inside you're as dead as Lazarus. You're inside that tomb, all wrapped up in the burial clothes, and you have no hope at all, just as he didn't. Unless you respond to Jesus, who calls you out of his grave and brings you into new life. And how does he do that? Jesus entered into our time and space, into the evil world while saying above it, entering into every situation but never sinning on his own, dying for sinners on our behalf, and rising again. And if you believe, place all your weight, all your trust in Jesus, you'll be saved. Once you do so today, why would God do that? Why would Jesus do that? For his glory, to bring you faith, and to assure you of his love. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Father in heaven, thank you. Thank you for the gift. I I, want to say the gift of pain. And when that comes out of my mouth, Lord, it sounds strange, but everything that you will It's for a greater purpose. It doesn't always make sense, Lord. It's difficult to understand. We can't fully answer the question because we're limited. But we serve a, a limitless God, a God who knows no bounds. So I pray for the one this morning that's entering into a painful situation, has been in the midst of it perhaps for a while, or will. That like Mary and Martha, they would give their complaint to God. Say, God, this is, I don't enjoy this. 
I, this is not fun. I, I wish it wasn't this way. Why is this happening? But would do so with hope and say, yet I believe that you can do all things. God, I pray for the one that doesn't know you that's still wrapped up in those burial clothes, spiritually dead before you, that they would trust you and would come to know you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together.